When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What you heard in that music intro, which is now in the background, is Tower of Power, the legendary American R&B-based horn section and band originating in Oakland, California that has been around since 1968. And that's a cut from a live medley called Diggin' on James Brown from Tower of Power's latest two-CD live album, 50 Years of Funkin' Soul, live at the Fox Theater, Oakland, California, June 2018. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and GoldmineMag.com. Goldmine Magazine is the music collector's magazine since 1974. We report on collecting vinyl and memorabilia and covering and interviewing the artists you love to collect. And welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast again. And if you say you never heard Tower of Power, well, you probably have heard Tower of Power. If you've heard and liked hit songs from artists as varied as Aerosmith, Heart, Jefferson Starship, you've heard Tower of Power in the background or livening up their tracks. And we'll get to that in this podcast as we'll have Emilio Castillo on, and he is the founder of Tower of Power, and Emilio plays tenor sax as well as providing background and lead vocals from the start since 1968. Emilio will talk about performing on other bands' hits, Tower of Power's own hits. They had quite a few of them, especially in the 70s. The band's Oakland Roots and this live album when we come back after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. How are you, sir? How are you? Tower of Power, new release, 50 Years of Funkin' Soul at the Fox Theater. What, what? We know what's special about Oakland. What's special about the Fox Theater to you? Well, you know, uh, that theater is one of the premier theaters in downtown Oakland since, like, you know, way back in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, they were refurbishing that theater for, like, the last uh, 30 years. I mean, and uh, they used to have benefits, you know, like, 
you know, to to help get it refurbished. And uh, and I remember they finally got the marquee done, and it was gorgeous, you know. And they approached us to do a gig there, and uh, but the inside was a wreck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this this happened like five or six times. But then uh, when it was time for us to do our fiftieth, you know, I hadn't thought about it for a long time, and uh, I heard that they were doing. Uh, concerts there and that bill graham's people were in there and uh queenie taylor and uh i forget the other guy's name but uh anyway uh my manager said you know we, we gotta look for a venue in oakland I go, yeah it's gotta be in oakland he goes i'm gonna go look at the fox theater and he called me up the day he toured it he says man this is the place to shoot a dvd it is just phenomenal you know? oh. so we went there and now it's our new home there we play there once a year well, they, I remember in the 90s, they redid the Fillmore. Um, yeah. I was there. Um, but you guys were more of the East Bay, so it it's kind of better that it became the Fox Theater for you to... Yeah, I mean, you know, we did the Fillmore for uh, the 40th anniversary, and, and that yep. was right because we got our start at the Fillmore. True. And, uh, but that's a smaller theater, and this was a big event. Yeah. You know, 50 years, that's a big deal. Yeah. So we did... Two nights and sold it out. And it was great. Well, you've done a lot over fifty years. That's why I want to uh, cover a lot of different songs that you've done. But first, with this with this release, uh, the thing I like is it's going to be triple vinyl as well as a DVD. And you invited a lot of alu- TOP alumni to join you on stage. You have Lenny Pickett, who the musical director of Saturday Night Live, right? You have. Yep. Chester Thompson, Santana, the keyboardist, um, Bruce Conti, guitarist. Now, Bruce, um, doesn't he play now and then with you guys? He sits in whenever he's around. I mean, all these people do. Chester plays with us every time we're in the Bay Area. Lenny Pickett plays with us every time we play in New York. Yeah. You know, we have good relations with all our alumni. And, and former vocalist Ray Green. Um, yeah, he played trombone, though. Oh, he played trombone. Okay. Yeah, he's an excellent trombone player. <coughs> we wanted to augment the section yeah. with the trombone. So we got Ray in there, man. It was great. And you didn't miss a beat playing with these guys because you said you they play every now and then with you when they're in the area, right? So it's kind of just they fits get like the a tower glove. power concept. <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, they, they get it. And uh, so, you know, a few days rehearsal, everybody's tuned up. Man, it was excellent. It's like it's kind of like a a family, Emilio, isn't it? I mean, they they just come back to to visit, so to speak, and jump right in, and fits like a glove. It's kind of yeah, interesting. It, it is a family. It's not kind of like one. <laughs> <It is. laughs> I mean, we're all very very close, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, as soon as I get to New York, Lenny calls me, "Hey, man, you want to go get some Mexican food?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just like. Uh, all of us. I mean, Chester Thompson, every time we're in the Bay, we're with Chester, you know. All these guys, Greg Adams, we're in L.A. He came play with us at the Hollywood Bowl last time we were there, you know. So how does a guy like you, who's been plays like 200-plus gigs a year, been playing for 50 years, all of a sudden the pandemic hits, and it's just frozen in time? Uh must have been just freaky for you to to not uh, to do anything. Um, to not tour. Yeah, you know, I mean, freaky for everyone. I mean, the whole world shut down. So 
I certainly wasn't like, you know, the only guy. It wasn't as though I got a terminal illness and all of a sudden I'm off the road. Right. You know I mean, everybody got this terminal illness <laughs> and, uh, and we were all out of work. And, uh, for me, it was a huge adjustment because, as you say, you know, I played 200 dates a year, every single year for like the last 50 years. And it was an adjustment. But I've, I'm one of the guys in the band that was lucky because uh, I was in the process of doing this DVD. So I'd fly to L.A. and work on the mix. And when I got back home, I was working on the video editing and all the credits and the artwork. And that was a long, long process. And then uh, also, you know, because I'm a songwriter, I wrote a lot of songs during this time. Uh, the biggest adjustment for me was, you know, I never practiced my horn, and, and I'm ashamed to say that, but, you know, I never have because I play all the time. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, I you know I got about two months into the pandemic, and Doc called me up, and he goes, hey, I started practicing. And he's also another one. He never practices, you know. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I started practicing. He goes, it's a good thing I did, too, man. He goes, my lip was out of shape, you know. <laughs> and I thought... I thought I'd better get in, and I, I put my horn on. I was like, whoa, man. And so now I got into this practice regime, and then we got a gig. And, uh, you know, when the gig came up, we played one gig in September. You know? And wow. when the gig came up, man, we were, we were in shape. So yeah. And now I got this practice regime, so that's great. You're right. You don't think about that. You sort of, uh, you're playing so much, you don't need to practice. <laughs> Unless, well, I do. I just don't. I'm lazy. I mean, I'll be honest. It's not as though, I mean, unless you're you know, writing I songs. As much as me and, and they're practicing. You know? Right. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. I thought maybe you you put together a DVD because, you know, some downtime. But you already, this was already planned. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. We so, started working on this thing, you know, uh, in 2017. Right. We started making plans right. and scheduling it out and picking the people we were going to use. We didn't want it to be the same thing. Like with the 40th, we invited everybody that was ever in the band and whoever made it showed up. And it was kind of, uh, you know, it came out great. We took a lot of work and we got it all fine-tuned and it sounded great. But this time we just wanted to select people and we wanted extra mm -hmm. background singers and we wanted this 10-piece string section. And uh, so, you know, with our specific things we wanted to do to make it different. Right. And uh, that worked out really well. Sometimes when there's too too many people on the guest list, it causes uh, friction. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that wasn't really a problem because we all, like I said, we all really love each other. So we yeah. get along just great. So that wasn't a problem. But, uh, you know, we just wanted it to be different and, uh, you know, noticeably different from the other one. And so, and I think we accomplished that. Well, it does have a bittersweet release because Rocco uh, unfortunately passed away Rocco Prestia the bassist uh, founding bassist yeah. in September yeah um, yeah we had actually taken him off the road about six I months know. prior to the concert yeah. and it was difficult for him and, and actually during the filming because we made sure yeah, we wanted him to be involved and so but we knew he was out of shape because he's another one <laughs> that never practiced you know because right. he played all the time but he had been off for six months. We knew he was out of shape. So we only had him do four tunes. And, uh, you know, he was still upset with me. And uh, I remember about two months after the concert was filmed, he called me up one day. And uh, and I look, and it's from Rocco. And I go, hey, man. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, I need to tell you something. I go, what's that? He goes, I'm not mad anymore. Hmm. And I tell you, I just started crying, man. 
And uh, I, I'm really glad about that, Frank. Yes, now you did the right thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was difficult. Those are difficult times. Yeah. And is Marcus Scott still in the band? Is he still singing in the band? He's not, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, that's... Uh, I wasn't sure that's of that. That's sad to me, you know, because I, I, I was really, uh, I really, I think he's a wonderful talent, a yeah. beautiful singer, and uh, got along with him really great, you know. But for some reason, when the pandemic hit, he uh, he just kind of shut down, and we weren't hearing from him. And, you know, we, we had uh, some Zoom meetings with our new management, and he didn't right. show up, and then we kind of asked him about it, and, um, you know, he just, I don't know what happened. Uh, you know, it could have been some personal stuff you know i don't know but right. uh, yeah it's uh it's upsetting but you know as you know <laughs> we've made that movie many times yes yes well you move forward you know um yeah. now, now you stated that back to the beginning you stated that you were 17 years old when you first met doc doc kubka um the sax player and you started to assemble the band which, you know, became Tower of Power. You made a quote that I was reading. You said at the time you had no well, vision. Let me stop you there first. Let me <laughs> okay. stop you there first. Right. I didn't assemble the band when I met Doc. The band was already exactly like Tower of Power is for like a year and a half before I met Doc. Uh, I just met him, and we auditioned him, and he came in the band. And when he came in, he was the first hippie we ever met. And he came in, <laughs> and he was in the band about six months. And yeah, we were a bunch of little hard guys, man, with suits and razor cuts. And, yeah. you know, that was when, you know, the Fillmore was happening. And we all, you know, saw him and, and, and we we're hanging out with him. And he's hanging out with us. And we started growing our hair long. And, you know, we wanted to get into Fillmore. And we knew we'd never get in with a name like the Motown. So that's what we were called. Because right. me, me and my brother, uh, we, we were the two guys who started the band. And we were from Detroit, you know. And, uh, we came up with that name Tower of Power. So, yeah, I didn't, like, hire Doc, and then we assembled the band. It was already assembled. So the hippie loosened you happened, guys he up. He came in, and he said, he, said, he said, what you're doing with this music is incredible. Because I used to take these songs by Otis Redding, James Brown, Sam and Dave, and I would change them around. And he said, yeah. you know, it's amazing what you're doing with these songs, but why are you doing it to other people's songs? Why don't we write our own? And then we started to write. So that's basically because we started to write the tunes. That's why we're known as the founders. But, you know, I had the band a year and a half before he came in. So this hippie kind of loosened you guys up a little bit. <laughs> oh, he loosened us up considerably. <laughs> he took off the suits. We got, yeah, we, we got so loose. By 1988, we had to sober up. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh... So, so Doc, you but you made this comment. You said that um, you you realized you had no vision at all. I guess that's you explained it. You kind of started thinking about writing your own songs and being more than just a regional act. Well, let me let me just stop you there as well. I didn't realize that I had no vision at all. That realization came like. 30 years later, you know, people ask me, you know, did you ever think you'd get this far? And I'd say, you know, my vision was if I could get to Sacramento, <laughs> I will have made it. Yes. Know, because my idols, the Spiders, had gotten a gig in Sacramento. Uh, all, all I said 30 years later was, you know, I had no vision, but I didn't even know that 
then. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about vision. All I thought about was I got this band and it's my whole life. I loved it. And then that, that's, you know, I didn't have any thinking besides that. You know, well, it was like the band and chicks, man. That was it. What were the spiders like? They were a really tight white soul band, yeah. and they had three horns, very tight, well-arranged, beautiful, excellent background vocals, uh, a white lead singer named Dennis Delacqua that was so soulful that black people would drive from San Francisco, from San Jose, from the peninsula, and come in and just shake their heads. They couldn't believe how soulful they were. Oh. And, and I looked at that, and I went, I want to be like that. And where are they now? What happened to them? They they never made the transition. They never wrote uh, original material. Uh, they lost their original drummer, and he was really him and the singer. They were the two soul guys in the band. I mean, they they really had the concept. And when the drummer got uh, drafted to Vietnam, the whole concept. I gotcha. Well, the Oakland the Oakland influence definitely had shown on the first album, right? East Bay Grease. You put a map of Oakland on there. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was uh, that was Bruce Steinberg's idea, the album cover designer. He pointed out to us, he says, you know, you guys are in a San Francisco band. You yeah, know, you're an Oakland band, right? And we're like, what's your point? He goes, we want to make we want to make that statement, yeah, because your sound it's the Oakland sound. It's not San. We never even thought about that. Like I say, I had no vision. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about oh, we're got the Oakland sound. But when he pointed that out, he goes, you know, you play here all the time. We had a regular Monday and Tuesday night gig in Jack London Square. We played all over the East Bay, you know. And uh, he said, you know, you, you listen to KSOL radio, the Sly Stone is a disc jockey in Oakland, KDIA, Oakland Soul Radio. Is that's who you are. You're not, you know, big brother in the holding company and Quicksilver <laughs> Messenger. That's not who you guys are. And we said, yeah, no, you're right. And uh, he put that map on there and put the point of that... Uh, Logo right to Oakland, <laughs> and uh, and we've been an Oakland band ever since. We go around the world, so it's the Oakland soul sound. But you played at the film, or did you hang out though with those bands, the Holding Company, Big Brother and the Holding Company? You know, well, this... what what happened was <clears throat> they uh, they saw us and they dug us. You know, yeah. Santana dug us absolutely. Uh, Nick Gravanides, Nick Gravanides, who was a singer for. Uh, Big brother in the holding company and the harmonica player. He uh, he was the first guy that called us in the middle of the night and said, uh, "Hey, I'm over at the studio, Wally Hyders, and I got this song named Funky Jim. What do you think? We think it would sound good with horns. Yeah, <laughs> I know? know. They started coveting <clears throat> our horns, you know. <laughs> and two weeks later, Carlos called in the middle of the night, same thing. We're over here at CBS Studios, <laughs> and we got this song. Everybody's everything." We think it would sound good with horns. You guys mind coming over? And we're like, no, we don't mind. And we go over there, and then they, you know, press some money into our hands as we were leaving, and we go, what's that for? <laughs> They're like, for playing. And we're like, really? <laughs> we just went there for fun, you know? Well, I don't think people realize how many classic songs on the radio have Tower of Power in them. And... uh even I didn't realize. I knew some, but not not all. I knew, um, well, the bitch is back, right? That has that features you guys.
Um, that was a number. That was in the top ten, and that included uh, yeah, Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville did uh, when something's wrong with my baby. That got the Grammy that year. So how did how did you hook up with uh, Elton John? Did you did one thing lead to another where you're playing with Santana and then you go to Janis Joplin and then <laughs> it's just the music industry, you know how it is, uh, networking, and you just kept on getting recommended to different bands. Yeah, by the time we did Elton, we had played several sessions and word was out yeah and uh but when when we did his record though that was a there was a lot of recording done there and uh you know when it came out we were prominent in the mix yeah they allowed us to take a quote from him that uh he had been quoted in cream magazine saying tower power horns are fantastic and they not only uh, sound great, but they look great as well. Yeah. <laughs> we, we put that in a booklet with all our pictures and our horns and listed all the things we play, the different instruments and all the different sessions we had done and sent it out throughout the industry. And then the, the sessions started pouring in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you. I don't know if... Um, I didn't know this, but a song like Jane by Jefferson Starship... Um, mm-hmm. The horns, I had to really, like, there's so much guitar in that that I didn't realize the horns were, there was a nice accent behind the guitar, <laughs> propelling the song forward. On the, yeah, I think we only played on the bridge in there. That right. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yes. You know. But it prope- was like, uh, you know, we were just kind of hanging out there at the studio. We were recording, and... Uh, <laughs> The engineer, Ron Nevison, they call him Nevo, great guy. He said, hey, why don't you come in? I think, I think we can use some horns on this track, you know? Yeah. I was like, all right. And, and then you could hear it right there that it propels the the song forward. It, it really drives it. The same with Heart and Even It Up. Um, yeah. You can hear how that backs the guitar, energy-wise, you know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, a, a large reason for that is uh, the arranging of Greg Adams at the time. He knew how to arrange our horns in a way that made us jump out of the mix. Like, for instance, I mean, if you're a guitar band, you yeah. don't bring in horns and have them double the guitar part. You know, ba-da-da-da. Right. You know, that's the You have them go, bow! You know, and then the, the guitar goes, da-da-da-da, by itself. Because when they do the mix... They're not going to make sure the horns get here. They're going to make sure their their star guitar player gets here. So you pick your spots for your horn licks, and then they jump out of the mix. And Greg really uh, just perfected that. He's a great arranger. Yeah, there were certain songs like um, 
I recall um, Rod Stewart's Big Bayou, where it just called for horns. It wasn't it wasn't a guitar song that had the horns in the background. It just it called for it. And right, right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. well, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a Tennessee song, you know, <laughs> or Louisiana song, yeah. I should say. So it fit in perfect. But but I, then we did uh, Aerosmith, you know. Yeah. What? And and I and you know you know uh, Joey Kramer called me. He said, "Man, I convinced them, you know, to put the horns on because they they had a thing going. Their their producer that they had had before that." was hooked up with this horn section in Canada. So they, they didn't want to step on their toes. And But uh, Stephen Tyler had told me, we've been wanting to get you guys for years. So then they got this different producer, Mark Hudson from the Hudson Brothers. And uh, and so Joey Kramer said, let's call Tower of Power. So they got us in there. And I told Joey, I said, you know, we need to do the arrangement. He goes, oh, no, well, we got this arranger. And I go, I'm telling you, <laughs> if you let us do the arrangement, it'll sound like Tower of Power. And they didn't do that. And if you listen to the track on Just Push Play that we played on, you can't even hear the horns because they mm-hmm. had us play all these guitar parts. And, you know, what are you going to, when you're doing the mix for Aerosmith, what are you going to do? Cover up the guitar? I mean, you're not going to do that. So we're sort of lost. In- Going back to, I want to go over some staples of Tower of Power, if you don't mind, because it is 50 years. Um, Well, it's beyond that, but uh, since we're celebrating it with this new release, some songs that are staples of yours, and maybe you could just say what you think are, just from you, what you think is special about each song. You're still a young man off of 72's Bump City. Um, to me, this is like a, a blues song with horns and orchestrated vocals. Do you, do you kind of agree? You come in and those horns sound like, it's almost like they took a guitar lick and turned into horns. It's pretty fabulous. I feel it's almost like a, a weeping. It's it's really nice how you did that. Yeah, I mean the song is uh, you know a, a song of pleading. You know, yes. Uh, obviously, we had we had no girls singing background, but the chorus is supposed to be girls saying, "You're still a young man, baby. Don't waste your time." Saying that to a younger man, and the yeah. younger man is 
pleading his case. No, no, I love you. You know, I want to be with you, you know, and she's going, no, no, you know, this girl's your own age. And it was based on this relationship I had with this girl that was 26 years old when I was 18. Yes. Know? And that's the first song we ever wrote, Doc and I. And the reason we have that trumpet intro is because of Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, their album, This Is My Country. There was a song on there called My Woman's Love that had a fabulous trumpet intro. And we had a really good trumpet player, Nick Gillette. And so we said, we got to write you know, a trumpet intro like that. And we wrote it. And then it was so great when we started performing, we said, let's put it on the end too. <laughs> so we put the, the trumpet back at the end, you know? Yeah, that was, that was sweet. And, and you can't pin you guys down because then you go into stuff like So Very Hard to Go, which is a classic R&B sound. that part in the song that uh who who does the horn solo that's that's a nice solo in there Um, that's greg adams once again greg Adams. the solo was such a signature solo that even today the trumpet player that we use uh, adolfo costa he plays that solo you know i mean you could you can go and improvise and do it any way you want but you know that doesn't work because when you get to that part of that song people want to hear that solo and greg adams made that famous well, I'm a big Marvin Gaye fan, and that is a song I, I think that could be a Marvin Gaye song. It's so classic R&B. Um, I don't know if you would take that as a compliment, but for me, that's that's a high compliment. It just um, it fits into Any that. Any reference cl- that we're in remote, remotely related to Marvin Gaye is a compliment to me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's a song that would check all the boxes for him, I think. Um then my favorite is What is Hip? I know you probably get a lot of requests for that. Um, that's just a perfect, to me, adrenaline funk song. To me, it's the guitar. It's that Bruce. Con- That's Bruce Conte, right? 
Yeah. Doing yeah. all those little, those nice little licks in there. And then you have the funk yeah. drive. You got, that's Lenny Williams, right? Um, it, it's like overall Shady just lead, yeah. perfect song there. Just overall, just. Yeah, I think, you know, for one, the, the strongest thing about that song is the lyric, you know, uh, the concept of, you know, everybody's chasing hipness and every time they get it, it's already not hip no more. That's true. And that, that was priceless. And that was all uh, Doc Kupka, you know, I mean, uh, he said, I want us to write a song called What Is Hip? And I go, okay, what does that mean? He goes, you know, when you're chasing hipness, as soon as you get it, it's not hip no more. I go, oh, yeah. And we, we started writing it. We invited David Garibaldi to join us. And uh, he didn't pitch in a whole lot while we were doing the writing of it. But when we put it together, there was a song called I'm Going Down by Freddie, uh, um, Freddie King. Mm. And uh, it had that 16th note bass line. Mm. And him and uh, the, the bass player from Santana at the time, Dougie Roush, were jamming on that groove. And uh, it was so cool. He came to me the next day. He goes, I think we should put a groove like that to that song, What Is Hip? And mm. that really propelled the song, you know. And then the guitar part, you know, we recorded that song twice. We recorded it, and then I fired Skip Mesquite and Willie Fulton and, but we had already recorded it with them, and Willie took this searing guitar solo uh, on all those sections where Bruce Conti solos, and we were used to that. And when Bruce came in, you know, it was like he was more jazzy and all that, more lyrical and all that. Uh, but over the years, it's become like like that's a, a signature, kind of like that solo in So Very Hard to Go. I mean, you can't hear what it's in without hearing that type of guitar solo on it. Huh. And I know that. So there are two versions. Of the oh song. yeah, oh yeah. We were, and not only that song, uh, you know, "Soul Vaccination." Uh, there was a few songs in that album that we had to re-record. Uh, "Get Your Feet Back on the Ground." Did you ever re? Did you ever release those? Uh, those I was ones? going to re-release them. Um, Warner's in contact me. Said we have these things in the vault, and uh. they sounded good, you know. And uh, and that was right before the big, yeah. Everybody, you know, downsized. Yes. And the next thing I know, they just stopped calling me. I mean, they had sent me uh, discs of all the um, stuff in the vault. Oh. And they were like, we want to put out a special box set, and we want to do each album plus the bonus tracks. And I was like, yeah, we got to do it. And I'm sure someday it will be done. But oh, please. What happened is they just, all of a sudden, <laughs> everything fell out the bottom. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, they just weren't calling anymore. That's got to be some great stuff. Away. Oh, yeah. It'll and Rick Stevens sings those songs. You know, the guy that sang You're Still a Young Man because it was before Lenny came in. Oh, what? And what happened is I, I fired I fired Skip Mesquite and Willie Fulton and we re-recorded them, but I didn't fire Rick Stevens. And I should have because they were all, it was a heroin thing, you know. And yeah. I should have and I didn't take care of it. But then when we recorded all of the songs again uh, and Rick was getting further and further out there, finally when I said, uh, you know, it's time for you to sing, and he was like, I'm not going to sing till everything's on. I go, everything is on. It's time for you to sing. And then he kind of blew up in the studio, and that's when I fired him. And we got Lenny Williams. And I had already written So Very Hard to Go because I had been hanging out with Lenny Williams, and I had his voice in my mind. And so I said, let's, let's have him record that. We'll put it out as a single, and that'll buy some time. We could teach him the rest of the songs on the record, and then we'll put the album out. Wow. So it was a turbulent time, you know. It's it's a good record <laughs> for such turbulence. Yeah, great record. 
Um, where's Lenny Williams now? What is he doing? He's in the Bay Area still. He called me about three weeks ago. We had a long talk. He's he's a wonderful cat. We've been friends for years, and mm. uh, he, I mean, we always call each other and laugh. It's he's got a great sense of humor, and he's uh, still got his career. You know, he plays. He does a lot of uh, gigs in the South. You know, yeah, yeah. down there with uh, you know Millie Smalls and all, all those all those kind of soul action. Um, so. Lastly, you go, you uh, continued with, um, you know, you have the song Stop that has that same funky sort of vibe, but it's more modernized, and that was on Soul Side of the Town. your last singer which we just talked about and that song kind of continued that sort of funky like i just said that funky vibe but it it was more in it wasn't 70s which i love that 70s sound but it was more in touch i would say with today's uh kind of what is hip <laughs> If you want to say yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I never think about, does it sound like 70s or is it current? <laughs> uh, I, all I do is I, I write songs. I make them sound the way I want them to sound. And, that, that's uh, the best way to think of it. Now that it's current. Yeah. yeah you know, but uh, that song, I was interesting. My, You know, I, I wanted, you know, I'm a songwriter, and so is Doc, and him and I have the main songwriters. But, yeah. you know, everybody wants to get into the writing. And I told all the guys, you know, we're putting together... You know, I want to have a minimum of 25 songs. And I said, and I got a ton of songs, but I don't want it to be the Emilio show. So any of you guys that got songs, I want to hear them. If any of you need help finishing ideas, I'll help you. Doc will help you, whatever. But I want everybody to get a chance to throw the ball around, you know. And uh, so one day I was at home. It was a Friday evening. And Jerry Cortez calls me. And he goes, hey, uh, can I send you this track? It's a song I started writing years ago. I just pulled it up and I, I think it's pretty funky you know and all it was was that dong da da dong go go dong go da da you know that's all he had you yeah. know and uh, and I said sure he goes uh, maybe you could come up with something you know and I go yeah I go you know I got some people coming over and I'm about to have dinner uh, you know and it's the weekend so I'll try to look at it Monday but before dinner got ready I started listening to it and I got this idea to write about a guy who's sober who thought about drinking mm. and uh all of a sudden man the lyrics just started pouring out you know and before i knew it i had the whole thing done it was like an hour you know and i sang it against his track and and i sent it back to him you know and i said i just need you to make some changes in the track here and there and he got back to me he's like man because that was fast you know and the song really came out good so i'm, I'm very proud it did clean sounding very good production everything um, so now lastly, I got to ask you, you say that, and it's obviously why, cause the man was very talented, but you said BB King is your role model. Why is that for you personally? 
because he played till he was how old was he when he died? He must have been close to ninety or even older. Right. And he kept he kept on gigging. You know, I, I was playing with him about twenty years ago, and I remember uh, we did a whole tour with him. You know, we did the BB King Blues tour, and he would be coming off the bus, and people would help him down the steps and walk him over to the stage, and then they had a ramp for him to go up. They'd be pushing him up, but when the light came on. He was like a seventeen-year-old. He played for like two and a half hours, you know. Yeah. And I said, "Man, that, that, I want that to be me, man. I want to just bob till I drop." People say, "You know, when are you going to retire, Emilio? When are you going to bring this to an end?" I tell them, "There's no retirement in the Bible. That's yep. a man-made thing. We're yep. supposed to work, and I love working." I agree. If you've got a passion for something, why? It seems like people are obsessed, especially when it comes to musicians, like. Oh, you got to retire. You know that's a young man's game. I don't. I don't agree. Um, Keith Richards said he he's going to be playing till he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> and I I could see it, man. I I mean I can understand it. You know, people. I understand people think of you know popular music, young. You know, uh, think of the musicians when they were young, but. You know, this is what they're best at. So let them play till the end of their lives. I I don't get the obsession of the retirement thing. And let's face it, how yeah, many times I mean, have bands said they're retiring and it never yeah. happens? <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're, we're retiring and then two years later it's the reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to happen. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Emilio. And... Uh, I didn't get the three album uh, vinyl yet, so I'm I'm looking forward to actually putting the needle down on that. Um, even yeah, you know, Mac Avenue Records is kind of famous uh, for being the best vinyl in the industry today. Yeah, they have the high grade vinyl and the regular, and uh, that's one of the things that really you know we we were excited about that when we first signed the contract. It's like oh, I don't know if you know this, but they're known for their vinyl. You know, my my little boy. Had just really got obsessed with vinyl, yeah. And I mean, he was going to you know on Vinyl Day, he was going to all the vinyl stores here in Phoenix. And Isn't that cool? And, uh, and the, yeah, it's way cool, you know. Yeah. And so we're very pleased about that. And uh, I, yeah, I got to request him for some vinyl myself. I told Mac Allen, I got to have a few of those. And you're like, well, we're uh, getting it together. Yeah, well, send me some. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's one thing hearing it digitally; it's a different thing hearing on vinyl. It's just uh, yeah. <laughs> hearing on a stereo system, it's a lot better. Yeah, plus the artwork always looks so great on an album. Of course. Is it is it going to be uh, gatefold? Do you know if it's... Uh, well, I guess I'll see when you I know, get I'm, it. Honestly, I'm not sure. But that's that's the great thing about vinyl, too. It's tangible, you know? It's not some... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. Enjoy Enjoy the weather. Um, I'm up right, here in the man. Northeast trying to, hoping it gets to 50 degrees this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try not to gloat. <laughs> Take care, man. Nice talking to you, Pat. Okay, thanks, man. Bye. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and GoldmineMag.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. Don't forget, pick up the print edition of Goldmine at Select Barnes & Noble's books a million stores, and indie record shops. And go to goldminemag.com for exclusive content. Take care for now. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 